my beauty, my lord. Rule me like Rudy, so I can do as goody as the good. You're listening to Grace Geltman and Weld on the Hammer Factor. Take it away, boys. This is a new headset my kids got my other one <clears throat> All right, here we are, episode number 86. It's been a while. I think it's, I think it's 87. We don't have to start over at one at this point. Seriously. <laughs> this is a full reboot, starting at one. Mm. I think this is 86. Mm. Well, I'll correct it in whatever it is. Um, so here we are. We're back. It's been a while since we've uh, all spoke. Best I can tell, Weld went kayaking for 90 seconds in Chile since our last show. Um, Lewis with a top 10 result in the Little White Race. And Grace, well, I've had a midlife crisis. Um, 86 is going to be a hell of a show, or 87. We've got longtime and soon-to-be-retiring Executive Director of American Whitewater, Mark Singleton, on the show. Little Green Race recap, Little White recap, (laughs) South American trip report. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Grand Canyon trip report, policy updates, rancid raves, listener mail, and more. It's been so long that we're doing a green race recap. And this right. is going to double as the preview for the next green race. <laughs> I mean, we got to get it in. I'm basically only here because I can't even get a hold of either of you guys anymore. And I was just like, all right, this is the only way. I'm like, Grace, I don't know if you and I are in some fight I don't know about. I've been like texting you. Like... <laughs> I was texting Grace for like a month. And I was like, he, I, he must be pissed at me about something. I wasn't pissed at anybody. <clears throat> I apologize. You know, I just. <laughs> I was just worried about you, you man. You're, 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 That's not, what I said. you're not the only one. Um, you know, full disclosure, you know, without to go too deep into everything. I think I told you this, John. Um, but my parents had a, a health bout. One of them had sepsis really bad. Was in the hospital for a couple weeks. Had big long month recovery before they could walk and whatever and no sooner than um he got better my stepmom had a heart attack and so there was just a bunch of time of me i just kind of like just got real introspective and just kind of tapped out and you know i, I don't want to say midlife crisis because it wasn't like a negative thing but i just kind of tapped out for a little while fully got out of social media and i don't really know it was just a period of recollection on some various things knock on wood everybody's doing good back home things are all on the up and up and uh you know hopefully i can you know start thinking more about fun projects and doing cool things again so that's that's where I've been. So just don't think I was mad at anybody. So and that goes to everybody else who's been listening, who I've been in communicate in not in communication with. So, well, all right, it's, well, it's, man. it's not my fault. That's all I took away from that. <laughs> anyway, that's what I've been up to. <clears throat> I went on an amazing Grand Canyon trip. You guys want to hear about it? Yeah. Is your Please. shoulder okay? Right. Well, told me you thought you'd hurt your uh, my shoulders messed my my shoulders messed up, but. My big problem is I've got a C6 radiculopathy. Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> That's not real. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> it's like algae diagnosis. <laughs> this is a real thing, a C6 radiculopathy. Look it up. I wish I had like a henchman over in the corner. I could be like, look that up. Show these boys. <laughs> but uh, no, my shoulder felt... 
pretty decent. You know, I, it was it was definitely hurt, and I made it down the Grand Canyon, and uh, I went to the gym. I went kayaking one day on the green. I got a great rave about the score checks. Have you guys paddled the score checks? Man, I've had have. some time in that, but I really like it. But anyway, I uh, went to the gym, and I was just doing some bench pressing, <clears throat> and I just felt like this little pop. Like in my back, like in my shoulder, like just kind of like back here. I was like, ah, oh, what was that? And I woke up the next morning and like my whole shoulder hurt and I just didn't know what was going on. So I went to the doctor, got it looked at. I do have some mild tears in my rotator cuff, but nothing super bad. But I have what's called a C6 radiculopathy where you have like a pinched nerve that comes out of your C6 vertebrae. There'll be some medical people who know I'm not full of shit when I say that. Well, we missed you the little white race, man. I thought you were gonna. Uh, I was feeling. I was looking good. forward to it. I was looking forward to it too. How'd it go? Good. It was. Uh, yeah, it was fun. We've like, I mean, we've moved the race earlier and earlier and earlier every year because the water seems to get worse and worse and worse every year. But we, you know, finally had a good one this year. It was like three five, just like nice medium, good race level, um, big turnout, probably the biggest one yet. Um, where are the results? I was looking before the show. I know Todd Wells won, and I know I think Noria won. But yeah, that's right. Um, I don't know if they're on LittleWhiteRace.com or if they were just on social media or I don't know. They're on kicking around the internet somewhere. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, lots of interesting things. I mean, um, biggest women's class ever. Um, Darby definitely gave Noria a run for her money, which was really cool to see and did like the head to head GoPro at the party. And it was, it was a race, you know, for sure. Um, that was really cool. Um, Todd Wells won the men's race paddling a longboat. We had a lot of, um, a lot of hand wringing among everybody about like what the boat rules were going to be this year. Like typically, like it's always been a short boat race. But then the Scorch X came out, and there's, like, a lot of people here who are paddling the Scorch X just, like, every day. And it felt sort of lame to tell people that, you know, the boat you paddle every day, you can't race it. So we were like, okay, like, we should let, you know, people should be able to race that boat. And then it was like, well, if we're going to let some people race a 10-foot boat, we should probably just open it all the way up. But only a couple people raced long boats. But Todd won in the Vanguard. Um not by a huge margin. I mean, five seconds. I mean, that's that's solid, but not like insane on a fourteen-minute race. Um, oh, that's tight. And then Dane, Dane, uh, like went under the log below Boulder Sluice, lost his paddle, lost like twenty-five seconds, and you know, still was in the top ten. And if he hadn't had that mistake, he would have won by. 15 or 20 seconds for sure in a short boat. So I'd say definitely still open question, like what the fastest boat for racing the little white is, but interesting turn of events, I would say. Yeah. That's kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's going to be people who are into it and people who are not, but it sure makes it exciting. Yeah. I mean, the thing out here is like, I mean, it's not, I mean, people run a little white in a long boat from time to time for sure it's not some like unheard of occurrence but it's just like not that fun and like that's kind of how i feel about it it's like i i you know we had a vote for what the rules should be and i voted open just on principle but at the same time like i don't really want to do a bunch of runs 
in a long boat to like get ready for the race like there's just a lot of lines that don't really work very well like it's you're stern tapping all the time or just can't keep the bow up and like it's just not that fun but i don't know oh, progression i guess be a, a, a different experience though for sure but i'm not sure it's i mean there were I mean, Ian, you know, the Stoutmeister talks about that's only that's his, you know, his boat of choice out there now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Dave paddles it every day. There's definitely a handful. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to think what the results were. So Todd won in the Vanguard. Alec Voorhees was second in a Nirvana. Owen Doyle was third in a Scorch Axe. Cole Moore was fourth in a Scorch Axe. Um,. Zach McFarland and EG tied fifth. EG was in a Steez. Zach was in a Scorch Axe. So, like, I don't know. A lot of Scorch Axes up there for sure. But not like you can't win in something else. So if, you, uh, if you're if you a boat manufacturer, do you give your athletes a pass to race a Scorch Axe if you're not sponsored by Piranha? No, I don't know. I don't care. I just, like, I feel like... Well, I mean, if they can paddle a longboat you certainly would be like hey paddle our company's boat you know mm-hmm. what's that do you guys get a lot of background noise i think that's my mic this is like or maybe that's weld's mic i think that was weld's mic yeah. is, is it gone now yeah yeah i, I think it is weld hey we're rusty my fan, my fan right. is on on my computer is that it it's all right they'll forgive us yeah i wouldn't worry about it <clears throat> I don't know. I wanted to go. I felt good coming off my Grand Canyon trip and getting some paddling in. I felt like I would not just make a total ass of myself. It was my first, my first non-surf ski race start in two plus years. <laughs> nice. Where did you end up in the results? Uh, I was tied ninth with our buddy Jeff Calhoun. Nice. How, how did your race go? It was good, man. I mean, that was... I mean, I felt like my run was, like, as good as I could have done it, like, at least rolling out of bed that morning. You know, like, where else to what was possible for me on that day, like, that was as good as I could have done it, which feels, you know, it feels good to put together the best race you can. It also feels like a little bit of a bummer when you put together the best race you can, and it's <laughs> nice place. 20 seconds back, you know? <laughs> but, like, it was good. I was stoked. It was fun. And you were in, what did you paddle, you said? Uh, Steez. Steez. Hmm. Should we jump right into your trip to Chile? Well, yeah. While well, we're on the injury conversation, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So last summer, last summer I was like, all right, I, I was all in. Right. My kid was paddling with me every day. I paddled the, the Tross a bunch, paddled Cispus a bunch. I went back to the East Coast for Golly Fest, paddled that, paddled Blackwater with my kid, which is glorious. Uh, and looking forward to like I had a I had a I had a goal for little white laps for the season, and to kick the season off, I was going on a trip to Chile to meet uh, our buddy um, LJ. Down there, he's got a you know uh, a place to stay down there, and he's actually building a brewery. But me and a couple of my buddies are going to go down there and paddle. So this was November. The trip was first week in November, like for for ten days or so. Um, Getting to Chile was a pain in the ass, and I won't go into too much details, but I will say that it was enough pain in the ass, but my COVID test was like an hour and a half too soon. So I had I missed the first flight and had to come back the next day. Wait, and, wait, wait, uh, wait, wait. So you yeah. went down there? I went. I know. I got. I went to the airport in Portland, 
Okay. okay. You know, and to get and to get on the plane, they had checked my COVID test, and because of the, the time change where I got a te- like I had to mail it out somewhere to get it done, I just didn't calculate all the time zones correctly, and it was like not done at the correct time, and so that you, they're just like you can't get on the plane. So uh, I have to come back the next day. You know, I go get like a you know an instant test and come back the next day. Get on the plane. You know, we get to Chile. They they make you do another PCR test or whatever, and you can't get any kind of public transportation until you pass this test, right? Anyway, it, it goes on and on. So I get there, super psyched. You know, we're going to paddle, but you know, I mean, all the Chilean classics. We're going to paddle the annual the last the last few days, which is going to be you know great great experience. Uh, so we're doing like a warm up run of the Puesco, which is the river right outside LJ's place, and uh, you know it's like class four. And I'm just kind of floating down, everyone paying attention. Maybe first 15 minutes on the first day, flip upstream, dislocate my shoulder. First time ever. Uh, yeah, never in 40 years of paddling, I've never had a shoulder injury. Um, and and I will point out that before I left, I was talking about this exact thing with people saying, you know, I've done all this, you know weightlifting or you know my entire life to prevent this kind of thing from happening but so we set it on the we set it back into the river which is a good time because anybody who's had this happen knows um hike out uh and i just hang out for a week because i just can't get back on the plane you know i would have if i could have but it's just too much of a headache you know with the covid and everything so uh yeah so i get back um we have a friend of ours is a shoulder surgeon I've been kind of consulting with him about this when I got back. He said, well, I'll give it a little bit. If it's still really bothering you in a month or so, you should get an MRI. What I should have done, and anyone has this happen, just go get the MRI right off the bat. Don't waste time, because I did. I didn't get the MRI until like January, um, like three months later, and it was fucked, basically. Um, and so I just got, I finally got it fixed like two weeks ago. What was the now diag- I'm out for like six months. What was the diagnosis? I actually have it here. I thought you'd ask that. Let me, uh, we're getting some noise issue. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody, I don't know. It's just, I don't see know where it's coming from. Hold on for one sec, guys. Oh, that's better. Is that better, Lewis? Like, as soon as we can't hear weld anymore, it's better. It's, it's weld, I think. Is that better? Yeah, you're a little overmodulated, so. but I don't hear the noise anymore. Testing, testing. <clears throat> I can hear you. Yeah, do I make things better or worse? I, I, better. I think you sound great. I don't hear yeah. any, any background noise now. All right. All right. So let's see. Here's what I did. Uh, right shoulder dislocation with ro- rotator cuff tear, anterior labral tear, slap tear, and partial biceps tear. So that was full house. I did it all. Uh, so they went in, pulled tendons from different parts of your body, put it all in there, and put you back together? Oh, yeah. Whew. So six months. It's been fun. It's been a good time. Well, I'm glad you're on the up and up. How many more months yeah. do you have? <laughs> Five months and two weeks. <laughs> well, why don't you just give your whitewater journal to Lewis because he filled his up and he needs another one. <laughs> You're not going to use yours. That's great. <laughs> and it's been a pretty good paddling season too, I want to point out, right? Yep. Man, I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. Injuries suck. 
Yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah. So, it's all in the game. Yeah. Somehow when you told me the story, it sounded like you slid off the bank, you were above the first waterfall, somebody went, you were second, and like you took three strokes and tripped on your paddle or something and broke your me shoulder. Isn't that what happened? Me? Yeah, you. No, I oh. was like, I was floating down this river following a friend of mine not paying attention at all. It was like a kind of, a, it has a rapid as a name, but I can't remember the name of it, but it was some manky, like bouldery, constricted thing at pretty low volume and i flipped upstream and as i flipped upstream i was kind of reaching up to roll and it, my paddle must have caught something i don't know and i swam first swim in like forever too oh Whew. well there you go yeah so lewis what do you think are you gonna keep it open class race out there are you guys gonna make it not 10 foot or what do you think i don't know I feel like, um, you know, Rush is running the race now, and I feel like he's a little anxious that if we have a bunch of people doing laps all the time, like if we encourage longboat racing, that it's going to get, you know, like the, the safety becomes a little worse, which I think is fair. Um, I honestly don't think there are that many people who are going to be faster in a longboat than they are in a short boat. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Did Todd have a clean run or did he have any spin outs or did you, did you talk, talk to him? Uh, I don't think we've really like debriefed about it. Oh, maybe I have to get him, get him on an episode and hear about his long boat. Did he set the course record? That's a good question. I don't know. You know, it's like, it's, I feel like we don't really pay as much attention to that here. Cause, um, the water level is so much more all over the place for the race. Um, I kind of want to say no, though. Gotcha. We had a race one year, maybe it was like 17 when it was 3.8. So I think that probably would have been a little faster. But for some reason, the, the results from that year aren't up on the website. So hard saying. Can you believe we guys that we haven't got canceled yet? Don't let's not tempt fate. <laughs> I just like when I leave the office to come here to do the show, the room goes silent every time, and then someone would be like, "Don't ruin this business." <laughs> it's always the same. <laughs> oh God, that's so funny. Have you yeah. guys uh, followed the uh, pin swimmer controversy? The no. transgender. Um, Leah Thomas, pen swimmer controversy. Are you just looking for something to? to yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just wondering. We're talking about racing, you know. I'm just. Well, what's the controversy? I'm just preparing myself for when Russ shows up and wants to race in the girls' class at the green race next year, and how dude, I'm going to handle dude, it. Dude, 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 no, don't don't equate those <laughs> things, and don't start us down this path. <laughs> oh God! What is playing with fire? <laughs> The controversy is that this transgender girl won a race, and people are calling it unfair because what race? a swimming race. Oh, uh, it was a long distance discipline. I don't know exactly which one it was, <clears throat> but that's the big controversy. And you know, uh, Kara, Kara, when she was racing slalom many years ago, uh, there was a guy who transitioned into a gal for the uh, for the you know joined the women's slalom team. You remember that Gelman? 
Uh, I heard about it, but it was before my time. Yeah. Um, and I, you'd have to ask Kara to elaborate this, but I remember being like, it was a thing. You know what I mean? I mean, it was a very, it was a lot of, yeah. I mean, a lot of people concerned about that for sure on both sides. So. Yeah, that was, I mean, one of was this was like 1990, probably. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard I, to me. That's a it's a women's issue. I don't know if I got a dog in that fight personally, yeah. but but it was an Olympic year, right? And oh. uh, and this person was had a chance of securing a spot in the Olympics, you know. So I put a little bit of extra heat on the on the issue for sure. Well. What's your take, Lewis? Yeah, Lewis. Um, I mean, I guess I feel like sports. I don't know. It's complicated. I mean, I guess I, I feel like certainly in like high school and younger sports, it's like there is absolutely no call for excluding trans people from anything. Right. Like it's just like like sports are, you know, it's about encouraging healthy behavior in children and learning and like doing things that are fun and like i feel like you know so much of this conversation is just right-wing people looking for some kind of like culture war issue and it's like if the first time you've ever paid attention to women's sports in your entire life is to get worked up about trans people participating in them like fuck off um i mean i think it gets more maybe it's more complicated at you know elite levels but i feel like there are people who are trying to answer those questions in a way that's fair to everybody that is, um, it's just not my expertise, you know, but like, I think, you know, sports are, sports are inherently unequal. Right. And like, there's so many things about, um, you know, everybody has, you know, a gender or a, uh, genetic advantage or a genetic handicap of some description. And like, it's only in, in, I don't know. I feel like there's just so much around women's sports where it becomes like unfair and intertwined with all of these like socio-cultural expectations around women that it's like, I don't know, like I don't feel like it's my place to answer, but I feel like so much of the like discourse in this space is just like pretty disingenuous and there's no doubt about ginning that. up controversy where there doesn't need to be any, you know? Yeah. And you want everybody to be their authentic self, you know? So it's totally, like, you know, you can't argue with that. I think the one, like if I were the NCAA and this is like something that I was going to have to deal with year over year, I think the only issue you got to really deal with is like the drug use to me. Like, I don't see it as like, I see it as like, you can't have poor performance enhancing drugs to make the podium. You got a question, <clears throat> performance inhibiting drugs to make the podium. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I don't know. It's just a drug thing to me, but I don't know. I have to weigh in on this. <laughs> like, like ten people have asked me what would I do if somebody came to the green race and and you know there was a transgender girl who wanted to come race the green race and dude, I would just I would just ask the other girls. I don't even feel like I could make that decision. You know what I mean? Just let her fucking race. Who cares? It's the fucking green race, you know? It's like, I just, I don't understand, like, everybody's, I don't know. I feel like sometimes it's just, 
the more stakes you put on sports and the more bureaucracy and it's like it's all just arbitrary and it's all just for fun and it's like it, you know what somebody else does what a time somebody else puts down it doesn't change what time you put down it's like you do your your own thing you like race your own race and don't worry about it it's my attitude you know and let everybody participate no there's no doubt about that <clears throat> i don't know i just don't feel like i got a dog in that fight but a lot of people have asked me about it <sighs> moving on did you guys see that not that this is only this is really not relevant at all but did you see the noria documentary on red bull watched it last night i have not what'd you think I talked to, I had a long conversation with your girlfriend about this, Lewis, in, out in the rain yesterday. Yeah, she told me that. Yeah, but go ahead. What did you think? Um, I mean, I thought it was sick. It's inspiring. Badass. I mean, makes me want to go run the shit. I don't know. It was, um, I mean, I think I agree with some of Darby's criticisms for sure. I mean, I think. What was her, what was her criticism as far as you understood them? Um, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't want to put words in her mouth, but I mean, I think part of it was, I mean, she liked it. She was stoked for sure. But, and like found it super inspiring. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to put words in her mouth about it, but she was, she was into it for sure. Um, yeah, I thought it was sick. It was cool to see, um, it's cool to see Eve in there. Do you remember Eve Narduzzi? He oh, was, yeah. uh, He's like Noria's coach, but for a while before he went back and coached Slalom yeah. in France, he was coaching the C1s in the U.S. And he's just like, with him. he's super good, dude. He is really, it was really fun having him as one of the coaches in the U.S. And I miss that guy. What was your take, John? Well, I thought it was, it, you know, we just keep having these really great movies come out in paddle sports. And this is certainly one of them. I mean, in terms of biopics, it's top notch, you know, and, to me, the defining one of the defi- I mean, the, one of the defining things about this for me was, I mean, above and beyond the fact that Noria is paddling, you know, at the top of her top of her game. You, you know what I mean? And what she's doing is astounding. But that she really avoids the women's, you know, women's she, what she, you know, women's athlete perspective. You know, that's she. It seems like she pretty purposefully just doesn't even engage in that conversation. Um, which I'm sure people are going to have opinions about one way or the other. Uh, now, what do you mean by that? You know, I think there'd be a temptation from the movie maker or from, or the athlete to, to frame her, her paddling career in the context of what she's accomplished as a woman paddler. Oh, okay. Or, yeah. 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 Or other women paddlers or, you know, uh, making a big deal out of that. But that wasn't, that was, almost obviously not discussed, you know, um, I thought it was good. I thought that was, I, I'd like that. You know, I don't think, I don't think her paddling requires any kind of modifier. Right. Yeah. I would definitely say that. I'm going to have to check it out. Gutman's has like a, a look, uh, uh, I mean, what do you think? Do you think I'm, I'm misreading? I mean, it was in there a little bit, but I, I, I agree with you. I, but I, I thought was, it was, I think it has to be addressed. Right. But I think it was, it was, very much not Noria's agenda. It was that was the movie maker's agenda to throw that in there, it seemed like. Yeah, I don't know. It was I, I think I really appreciated just how like real it felt. Like it was like not no added hype, no but no gnarliness taken out either. Like it seemed like 
just like very, I don't know, just like a very real window into yeah. battling. Without spoiling it, was it just Nori as a kid, her evolution? Like Yeah. I mean, they had great footage of her Palislam as a kid. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm probably overthinking this, but I think there's a temptation for these biopics about athletes of any sport, but to sort of cast the athlete as, you know, someone who's achieved this excellence in sports through a journey and there's some hardships thrown in, but now they've, they're great at the sport and they have some insights into life or some kind of guru, or they have some kind of, you know, mystical, you know, ability that the river has taught them how to navigate choices in life or whatever. But that's not in this at all. And that's just not Noria's style. And there's no bullshit whatsoever, you know? And, and I mean, I'm not an athlete along those lines, of course, obviously, but I'm definitely someone who's dedicated my life to, to kayaking, you know, one way or the other. And I mean, for me, it's, you know, it's, it's been, it's been a really rocky road, you know, I mean, kayaking has given me everything I've ever wanted a thousand times over and taken away to down to zero a thousand times over. And it's not, there's no clear answers what that means for me. You know what I mean? I'm just as, you know, and, and in fact, I think those cycles for a lot of people are kind of, they're kind of damaging. You know what I mean? I mean, you kind of start getting PST, you know, PTSD after a while, just being, whether someone drowning for the, you know, a friend drowning for the umpteenth time that you know, or, you know, risking losing everything you have for the hundredth time making kayaking gear, you know, it's, I don't think it's, you know, to have that, that narrative arc where, you know, everything's sort of coming up roses and you're figuring life out at the end doesn't, doesn't ring true for me, at least from my experience. And I, and I appreciate that Nori has seemed to have the same, you know, attitude about it. You know, it's a mixed bag. No, I like that. I think, uh, you know, I was just, just thinking back to the last couple months thinking about taking care of my parents, taking care of my kids and whatever, and where paddling fits into that, mm. but it still fits in. You know what I mean? It's got its place. It doesn't, didn't help me deal with my sick parents or help me so much with each of these, but it still is a big part. I think I'm kind of saying the same thing you're saying there. Hmm. <laughs> no, I'm gonna have to check that out. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Probably everybody listening has already yeah, get the Red Bull app, and it's on the Red Bull app. You can cast it to whatever. But, I mean, it's great, right? I mean, the three movies we've, we've talked about, you know, the Lindgren movie and then the Los Palacos movie and then this, I mean. Do you know who made the movie? Ever. What's that? Do you know who made the movie? Red Bull. And then who is the athlete who put it together? I want to say David Arnaud. Is that right? Yeah, ah, David Arnaud. I'm mispronouncing his name. Yeah. 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 Really good job. Cool. Definitely Definitely a kayaker was behind the lens on that one. You know, he wasn't like a non-boater. Um, moving on, Lewis, or we got Mark Singleton coming on. Did I even introduce that in the beginning of the show? You did, so, yeah. Okay, all right. So, yeah, we got Mark coming on here in about 11 minutes, Lewis. So I want to hear four months' worth of Outdoor Alliance policy updates wrapped <laughs> into 11 minutes. Oh my god. When was the last time we did this? Where are we on the we're fucked meter? <laughs> yeah, just, just give me is the peg on the we're fucked. Is or, it just like the, or things like, are looking like good. The mac, there's like the macro fucked and the like micro, you know. The macro fucked is the Grand Canyon Lake Pal, dude. We've been we've been talking about toying around with coming up with some like some sort of tagline for Outdoor Alliance and 
what I've been pushing for is, is helping things get worse more slowly. <laughs> <laughs> or slowing our descent into the abyss. Crashing into the wall <laughs> with a seatbelt. Remember that? What's I? Did we have a discussion about this? Kind of the... You and I, I, yeah. I'm sure we've had. I'm sure we've we've had many depressing conversations about in this vein, for sure. You and I, where you were like getting. I mean, it sounds like you're getting with Sam, but I'm like, oh yeah, state of what was it? The default state of. of I I was like something about our failing democracy, and you said the default state of democracy is failing, which is an indication of my general mental state right now i was actually took as really encouraging i was like you know what john you're right like anything less than like a hobbesian war all against all is is a good day it's all apart that's entropy right it's to keep, keep building them back up again as they're crumbling around you that's and actually you know what i businesses I, democracy outdoor alliance <laughs> And it, it's funny. I actually I'm just finishing um, Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 72 on your recommendation, and it, it kind of makes you feel the same way. You know, you're like, yeah, you know, like it feels awful now, but I guess it's really always been awful. And like, <laughs> yeah, right? That's the truth. <laughs> just, just keep on so carrying on and not take it so much to heart. But the only thing that makes it so hard to not take it all to heart for me is climate change. Right? It's like, I mean, I don't know. I shouldn't say the only thing, but it's just. Um, the window of time to do something meaningful is closing terrifyingly rapidly. And I, on that note, that's really been a big focus of what we've been working on since the end of last year, when we were really hopeful that that build back better and it's $555 billion worth of climate investments. was going to make it across the finish line. And I don't know. I can't remember the last time we recorded, but obviously, um, Joe Manchin kind of unceremoniously pulled the plug on those efforts right before Christmas. And, um, you know, but that was really for reasons unrelated to the climate provisions. It was more around like the child tax credit and things like that. And so there have been, you know, some nascent conversations on the Hill about, you know, pulling the Democratic caucus together to do something with reconciliation between now and the middle of the summer. And, you know, we're really keen to see um you know like a serious climate focused reconciliation package get done here in this like very narrow window of time that we have you know both politically before presumably the democrats get their clocks cleaned in november and and you know scientifically before the world's just irrevocably on fire so that's that's kind of the biggest thing um it's funny, like, I feel like I had all these things that were on my list, like, before the end of the year that we were probably talking about the last time we recorded, and none of them got done, and none of them are dead yet. Like, we're still working on the same thing as so we were kind of hoping to to see across the finish line in, like, the end of December. But, you know, this big package of recreation policy bills that we're expecting um, the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee to mark up here, like, in the next couple of weeks, Um so that'll be sweet, like building towards, you know, potentially a really solid package of recreation policy improvements, including like recreation, not red tape and some other bills we've been working on for a long time, like hoping to see that stuff done by the end of this year. Um, working on a lot of like administrative stuff with the the Biden administration. So, yeah, carry it on. <clears throat> What's recreation red tape going to get attached to? How's that going to 
make it across the finish line? Well, I think there's going to be, I mean, there's like a pretty solid set of recreation policy bills kind of in the conversation right now, like including R and R. Um, and I think all that stuff's going to get passed out of, um, Senate ENR, I hope relatively soon here. It's like kind of like a recreation package. I think it's possible that that stuff goes to the floor standalone. And then I think, you know, the most realistic scenario is that, um, you know, hopefully reconciliation happens between now and the middle of the summer, then everybody's going to go off and campaign for midterms and it's going to be pretty quiet in DC until, um, I don't know, basically after the election realistically. And then it's going to be just like frantic trying to get things done in the last like six weeks of the year. And I think that's probably when all this stuff's going to all get like rolled together into some like giant package of things or it's going to get attached to some must pass thing and that's when we're going to like really see things finished after the election i think so but like we have a lot of groundwork to lay between now and then to like be able to capitalize on that like window of activity always fascinating getting everything to the finish line man i would love to see a renewed talking points of i mean nobody can argue over clean water everybody likes clean air you know, like I would love to see these start things start being. Well, I think we we could come up with some arguments against those things. Keep talking. <laughs> You're probably right. At this point, we probably could. Sure. <laughs> but anyway, there you go, man. The Grand Canyon is drying. Oh yeah, it's drying up, you guys. Like I just got off a trip there, and they had to right after we got off do an emergency release of all of these reservoirs and whatever upstream to get enough water in Lake Powell so they could generate the power that was needed to like feed Vegas or wherever, whatever they do with it. Like, right. They're like about to go below the turbine level, right? Yeah. Like and it's, then like, it's like, it's, it's like yeah. six feet. Like it's, we're not talking like it's got 45 feet to go. Like it's like six, like a human's height above where it starts cavitating air in the turbines, you know? Like it's like, it's like a very serious thing. The people who are living out there right now who like electricity and shit, they need to be freaking out, dude. Like it is freak out time. When you look at that lake, I've been going out and and paddling the Grand Canyon. That was my ninth trip for like 20 something years. And looking at that lake, you're just like, Oh my God. It looks like a, it doesn't even look like a lake. It looks like a, like a, a hiking area. I mean, I was talking to I was talking to uh, Nate Klima about this a bunch. You know, he guided on the Grand Canyon for a number of years, and he was saying, you know, like I guess they're talking about basically just giving up on Lake Powell more or less and just moving all the water down to Lake Mead, right? And yeah, but if they do that, they're not going to be able to control flows on the Grand anymore, and so the whole Grand Canyon scene is gonna gonna change. I mean, it's gonna be like. I mean, two load a run, I don't know, but like it's gonna be like a couple thousand CFS maybe in the in the summer. Like they were thinking probably almost for sure too low for motor rigs. And then, you know, like if you want like, I don't know, good water, it's like you're gonna have to start trying to get like a spring runoff trip. Yeah, it's not I mean that would be cool if they were if you were able to do that at, at more like historic flows. Like paddlers need to understand that in the next twenty years there's going to be trips that are not going to go down the Grand Canyon. Like, it's going to go dry. 
at times. I don't know if it'll go completely dry, but it's not going to be like the big water 20,000 CFS thing that we've all known it to be. Like, <clears throat> I can't describe what that lake looked like. And even the water was lower for this last trip. It was still good. We still had like 11,000 to 16,000 CFS. But that's the thing about what's happening with climate right now is you, it is, you don't need any formulas, models, math, or anything. You can just look at a picture from like 20 years ago. You know, it's like, it's very weird that no one, this is just not an issue that people talk about. It's opinion. an issue, but I think we're, I mean, most people are like, what are we supposed to do? Yeah, that should be what we talk about all the time, though. Gellman's going to be the first one to tell you that that, you know, that doesn't mean anything, right? I mean, Democrats are going to get slammed this this fall, and then we're going to be back to negative square, negative 10, you know? Yeah, and but what do we do? I, but, stop driving? Sure, we can stop driving, I guess, right? Start walking around. It's not going to change anything. Not a single thing. You know, and so you keep reading the paper. People are like, no, you know, this is this is the, you know, the the fire alarms going off and no one's paying attention. Of course, we're all paying attention. Everybody's paying attention. There's not a single person I know who's not freaked out about this. But I, I mean, but there's so little talk about the solution. I can, I can vote for for, Demo, you know, Democratic lawmakers all, all I want. But I know it's not going to make any difference at all. None. Zero. Especially when you look at Asia or India or anyplace else that's, you know, as, you know, much to blame for this problem, if not more combined. So. Yeah, but outside of political solutions, like, I think there needs to be way more talk going on. Whoever can solve this problem is going to make a lot of money, you know? Like, I, I don't know. The problem is all the people whose money making depends on not solving the problem, you know? <sighs> but, I mean, I mean, you guys are right that, like, it's like, you know, telling people they can't have the things that they want, especially when you think about, you know, the developing world. It's like, yeah, it's it's not going to work. It's like there has to be a, a technological solution aspect to all of this. But it's like we need to be pumping money into that. Like it's a, the emergency that it is, you know. Dude, it's nuts, man. Just seeing that lake and fall doesn't come around here until November instead of October and just it's just palatable the little white race the little the I mean is the little white going to be running in May might this year we feel like we're doing all right we're hanging in there at low three still we've had we had like a foot of snow in town like a week ago three feet snow on Mount Hood uh and I it was really great that I couldn't do anything (laughs) I went for a walk well then maybe we don't need to worry about it maybe I'm making a big to do about nothing I'm going to bring you some books, Weld. Huh? So I'm going to bring you some books. I'm good. I'm reading uh, Anna Karenina again. Nice. <laughs> Anna Karenina is depressing. Man. All right, it's guys. Like you, it's like the entire experience is like is the, is like watching somebody and just being like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. No, 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 no. For like like 800 pages. That's what yeah. Anna Karenina is like. I like it. <laughs> it's actually like 1,200 pages, but yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys keep it going. I'm getting ready to find Mark Singleton here. When I, I think my last shoulder surgery, I think I, I borrowed a, a bike trainer. I had my bike set up on the porch and would just sit on the bike trainer, and I read like the entire Game of Thrones series <laughs> on the bike trainer. Peloton, which I've, I've not, I, I you haven't got that desperate yet. Man, I'm an outside kitty. Man, I can't, I can't exercise indoors. Riding, riding the trainer bike with your arm in a sling. That's that's a fucking low point. <laughs> Yeah. But the I thing is, like, I feel yeah. like the yeah. thing about those shoulder surgery recoveries is, like, after 
two months of literally doing nothing like by the time you can start running again you're going to be like going running is going to be like 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 a sip of water after wandering across the desert. Like I you're going to be so fucking happy that like you won't even the next four months will be chill. <laughs> this started happening in November, right? So like the frustrating thing, one of the many frustrating things is, is, and this is why once again, if you, if you have this happen to you, don't do what I did and put off the MRI and take care of this sooner or later. But like, I didn't do anything from November to January, like, cause my shoulder was messed up. But by the time I got surgery in April, I was pretty much back to normal, you know? I mean, there, I mean, I could do pretty much, I was getting ready to go boat, like for the first time in April, like it was almost all better. But for the whole winter, I was basically running. That's all I could do was run, you know? So, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like that's a... Um, Dumb. I feel like I see that a lot. Like, everybody's like, thinks they're going to rehab their horrible... I mean, I'm not saying it's what you did, but I feel like you see it where people well, are, like, hoping that it's going to get better, hoping they're going to get rehabbed, and it's, like, just... They were saying, like, at your age, this will go back, and you probably didn't do anything. That was kind of the, the takeaway, and Dr. Weasel set me straight on that one. Yeah, straight to Brent. That's the answer. So... Are, like you, should, uh, yeah. are you doing military presses yet? I can't wait. I was going to the weight room a bunch start, starting about January. I started doing military again, you know, with my torn rotator cuff and everything. I thought about you, Grace. It was getting stronger, wasn't it? But yeah. you're but you're not doing the bar, right? You're doing the dumbbells, right? No, I'm doing the. Ooh, that's not good. Oh. You want to you want to do the dumbbells? So you get all those little muscles. All right, I'm trying to get Mark Singleton on right now, guys. Forgive me. I'm just going to start going through this list and just start hitting all the Mark Singletons up. (laughs) (laughs) San Jose. (laughs) Fuck it. Let's go for it. (laughs) I'd like to talk about what we were talking about in the pre-show a little bit. Can we do that somehow? Talk about paddles. I'm calling. I think consumer standpoint, this is an interesting problem. These are your, your relationships to burn. So (laughs) if you you want to burn them, go for it. (laughs) Like I've understood that whitewater technologies is no longer selling paddles. This could be a rumor. And if it's a rumor, I apologize. We can't spend spread rumors about companies going under, except for the ones we've already spread rumors about going under. Yeah. I went to the Facebook page. I couldn't see anything. There's no going back, Lewis. We're, we're in this. We were, yeah. All right. But yeah, I don't know. I'm interested to see where the paddle market in the U.S. is interesting. You know, why don't you jump in there, Weld? No, no, no. Can we talk about well, IR let's go for in a the, second? Yeah, well, let's go in the other direction. It's like you go into IR now, and like all the kayaking gear is like like relegated to this corner, and it's just trying to be <laughs> hit up the bougie Head River tourist market. <laughs> is this like shit? kayakers, get out of here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Make a kayak just wait out on the sidewalk <laughs> so they can be lysed or whatever they need to have done hygienic. Uh, man, I'm failing so hard here on getting Mark on here. <laughs> so tell me about the store. Well, we opened a store in Hood River. Come on down. We're doing some, we're doing some sewing there. We're making some apparel. Uh, of course, we still sell kayaking gear. We love kayakers. That's our peeps. Lewis is, is being, uh, he's making a joke. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, uh, it was a big project, man. This is an expensive piece of real estate in downtown Hood River. Um, we are definitely hoping to sell stuff to the skiers and 
mountain bikers and kiteboarders and stuff like that. But are they coming in? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. It's the weather around here has been super great. Um, we just opened up. Um, so it's, it's true. I mean, I, we'll do fine. I'm sure. Have you, have you seen a big quarterly like revenue bump from, uh, the Geltman t-shirt? Uh, the Geltman shirt's exciting, opportunity, exciting opportunity for us for sure. <laughs> and that's a market we have not <laughs> really neglected. I assure you. Have you seen the Geltman shirt? grace i have not it's very special oh man i was ready to murder you at the little white race party i was like fucking john wild wait what happened it's a race i think if you were fourth in the little white race you got a you got a geltman shirt what yeah (laughs) i'll trade you a journal for a geltman shirt we have other athletes coming out as well so more to come what i really want is i want a picture of darby wearing the Geltman shirt on a shirt. And she has one because Nori, Nori made one for her. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little snapshot in the Hood River. If you're wondering how Hood River, like the Gorge Paddling culture, that's a good little... <laughs> so if, if, if we couldn't get any more self-reverential out here. <laughs> Noria made Darby a Geltman shirt. <laughs> Geltman took a picture of Nor of, of the the shirt that Nori made Darby, and I want a picture of take that picture, and make it into a shirt. <laughs> Trying to nip this thing in the bud. I'm helping your brand <laughs> out, Lewis. What's that? I'm helping your brand out. Where that logo came from was we went to do um, we did a Grand Canyon trip with my buddy Cody Harris and a big crew that he put together a bunch of years ago, and one of his friends. Uh, Paul Heffernan, young Paul Heffernan from Missoula, who's, who's a big Camera Factor fan. And Cody made these stickers and then like plastered them all over Heffernan's gear, calculating yeah. correctly that it would make both Paul and me deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> now they're back. And yeah. <laughs> what were the stickers? I do own a shirt for that, but now there's stickers all over our sewing machines. And <laughs> yeah, it's a whole thing. Uh, Cody. You and Cody are both on my list. Hey, guys, it's Mark. Oh, man, the technology. We're geniuses. Welcome to the show, Mark Singleton. Hey, John Grace. How's it doing? Hey, John Weld. Hey, Lewis. Mark, how are you? Mark, if you, got a, uh, if you got a camera on your computer, you're more than welcome to turn yeah, it on. If I you am. Want. I'm, I'm going there right now. Here I am. Hey, buddy, right. how's it going? Yes. Good. Good. How's it going for you guys? Oh, we're going through. We're a little rusty. We haven't recorded in a while, but I think we're, I think we're hitting our stride. Yes, yeah, Skype. <laughs> I mean, I haven't used Skype since Jeff Payne worked at AW. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, Mark, what's going on? Where are you at right now? I'm 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 in, in wonderful downtown Colaway. Okay. Hmm. Is that your house? It is. So, real quick, Mark, how long have you been at American Whitewater? I've been at AW now for 18 years. So, I started in 2004, and, and uh, here I am today. Oh, man, 2004. All right, so let's just get straight into it. What are you going to do now? <laughs> good, good question. 
I, I haven't actually like had time to, to even think about it. I mean, you look, there's, there's this myth that when you tell folks you're leaving your job, all of a sudden you get this like big hall pass to go wherever you want. Well, in, in my case, it's like everything that I put off doing for 18 years, it all just came due. So, you know, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm just cleaning, cleaning up, cleaning up stuff. And look, I'll have plenty of time to figure out what's next, but, uh, you know, right now I'm really just trying to wrap this one up. Well, for those that don't know, Mark Singleton has been the executive director for American Whitewater for 18 years. I can firsthand say you've done an amazing job, and that's not just blowing smoke. The direction of American Whitewater and the achievements over that period of time, I mean, I guess real quick, you know, do you just want to list some of your most during your time as the executive director, some of the things you're most proud of that AW's pulled off? Well, yeah. I mean, before I, before I dive into a list of things like that, I mean, none of this stuff happened because I did it right. It, it, it all happened because we've got a really great team of staff and we've got a really broad base of support in the community. So these are all, you know, shared successes. Um, you know, the, 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 the the, the thing that, you know, that strikes me as kind of being at the top of the list is the dam removals that we've been able to accomplish. Um, you know, those are concrete results, right? And I'm, I'm not just saying that as a bad pun, but when, when you get a, a dam out, it's, that, that's a lasting um, legacy in, in that section of, of river. And probably the one that was the most memorable for me personally is Condit Dam on the White Salmon, where Lewis and John are. You know, you show up for work, and there's dynamite involved in your day, it's going to be a good day. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's, it, it was, that one, that one was, was really quite memorable and, um, you know, really, really proud of the work that, you know, Tom O'Keefe was able to, to pull off largely uh, representing American Whitewater in the, in the Pacific Northwest there. And then, you know, closer to home, um, you know, our small little dinky dam on the Tuckasegee, just literally just a few miles from where I live, um, you know, getting Dillsborough Dam out and allowing then for uh, releases on the West Fork of the Tuck upstream of the dam. Um, you know, that's uh, that's a that, that's that's just a great local story, you know, because I happen to be in the area because I happen to live along the Tuckasegee River and it's a. Uh, you know, it, it, it's just just really rewarding to to see those things happen. And then there's all sorts of legislative um, kinds of successes that we've had over the years, especially when it comes to designating new wild and scenic rivers. And, you know, those those additional river miles in the wild and scenic system are something that are an ongoing legacy for the organization. And then hydropower releases. You know, when I first moved to Western North Carolina, which now is a while back, you know, it was in the 90s, um, I would ride my bicycle up along the Chioa because there's a great road ride that goes around Fontana Lake and then up the Chioa drainage uh, and loops back around. And I would look at the Chioa drainage and I go, gosh, that must have been fantastic boating when there would be water in it. And it had been dewatered, you know, for 60 years. So when we got releases on the Chioa, you know, back in 2005, um, 
being, being able to see that come back to life and seeing the way people respond to it, you know, that's, that's also, um, just, uh, an enduring, an, an enduring, uh, landmark for, for American whitewater. So those are the kinds of things that I'm really proud of, but probably the biggest one is I'm really proud of the team. Um, our staff, uh, they crush it. I, I know, you know, your listeners come from around the country and, you know, hopefully, you know, they know the AW staff member that represents their region and the staff just do such a phenomenal job um, representing the interests of, of their region. So, John, th- those are kind of some of my highlights. I, you know, I, I, I could keep going. There's one other one I think I'm going to mention here, and that's the formation of Outdoor Alliance. I mean, we got Lewis hired. Oh my gosh. That was like Lewis Lewis would be like at, at you know, at the at the put into the little white, you know, trying to figure out what his next gig would be if it weren't for Outdoor Alliance. <laughs> and you know, the work the work of OA is just phenomenal. And it represents paddlers, it represents backcountry skiers, it represents mountain bikes. Um, it's you know, it's just the surfers, it's such a you know, it's such a diverse outdoor eclectic mix of uh of sports and it, it it's just worked really well for american whitewater to be part of that and uh, the you know I, i'm i'm proud of the things that collectively we've been able to accomplish through oa when you who 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 were who was the big catalyst behind getting water in the west fork but just because that would just because it's such a like it's it's a pretty burly run, you know, and but it it runs really well. But you know, who was jumping in there making that happen or see that as an opportunity? That wouldn't have happened without the work of Kevin Colburn. So you know the the, the West Fork for for folks that haven't been in there, I I think that's probably one of the just most phenomenal plans in the country. You know, you're. You're standing at the base of a two-tier, 150-foot waterfall, and you're literally in the mist. You know, you're putting your spray skirt on. By the time your skirt's on and you're in the, 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 the put-in eddy, you're already soaked. I mean, the, the water's just coming off the falls. And it just creates this incredibly powerful scene. And, and you peel out of the eddy, and you're right into, you know, some pretty committing class four. Um, so, yeah, there's stuff going on up there. And it's, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a, you know, it, it, it's a memorable um, run, but the put-in is just absolutely phenomenal. And getting to the put-in, you know, it, it, it was never a given that there would be access there. There's a cliff band that you have to kind of negotiate your way around as you're carrying your boat. And, you know, there's a, a, a series of pretty long um steps that are hewn out of natural rock and, and all put together you know it was questionable whether there would even be access at the base of the falls for uh, releases on the west fork and you know kevin was the one that went in there and you know he found the he found the gap in the rim rock where a trail could go and started flagging it and um, the utility that uh, uh, provides the releases which is duke energy um, duke then built that trail and you know it was honestly it was contentious in 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 this part of the country and especially in the community that i live in which is in silva cullowy um which is where the 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 tuck flows through um 
not everyone thought it was a great idea. And what's amazing now is that that access trail is used more by community members hiking than by whitewater boaters paddling. Um, it's, a, it's a community thing to go down to the base of High Falls when there's a release scheduled and watch them turn on the water just because it's so, so amazing. I mean, the river goes from, you know, essentially somewhere south of 50 CFS to 250 CFS all at once. And you just see this big spout of water coming over the top. So it's, it's cool to see it. The communities rally behind it. And, you know, no one thinks it's a bad idea now. And in Dillsborough, where the dam was removed that allowed us to get to that, no one says, hey, I want that dam back. Um, it's an interesting observation on human nature, but we're all incredibly resistant as humans to change. But then when change happens, we adapt really quickly. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's fun to see. It's fun to see the local community adapting to, uh, to boating in the region of that caliber. So, you know, Kevin Colburn deserves the shout out on that one. What do you think that trail costs? I have no idea. No idea. It wasn't cheap. I guarantee I mean, it. All of that rock was 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 harvested there on site, um, you know, without, uh, you know, heavy equipment. It was all, um, you know, hand-hewn rock, uh, block and tackle moved into place. Uh, it's a legacy trail. It's, I mean, it's it, it's a big deal trail, so it's a work. Of there's art. some significant, yeah, significant investment, and it's ongoing. Duke is maintaining it, right? So it's not like it was one and done. Um, so you know, kudos kudos to Duke for making that all come together. How do you how do you guys target dams? I mean, you know, people grow up in the Lower Yawk or Paddle in the Upper Yawk or the Green. They come to really appreciate those dams being there. I mean, where do you stand being like this dam needs to go or this one work or all dams? problematic in their own way like what's the how does that how do you figure on that yeah yeah that's a i mean it's a it's a it's a good question i mean the the process that we use is is through the federal energy regulatory commission our FERC. all right and federal dams have a a, a license that it typically lasts 30 to 50 years all right so each of these dams you know requires this operating license and you know, we have to look at each one kind of on an individual basis and say, yeah, does it, you know, does it make sense? Is it, you know, is, is it still economically viable, right? And is it, you know, is it adding, you know, power to the grid in a way that um, is, you know, is, is sustainable and isn't costing the ratepayers an arm and a leg to, uh, to sustain the project so that it looks uh, viable on paper, but in reality isn't. Mm. Um, so the dams that, you know, the dams that we've removed are all dams that have passed their, their useful lifespan. You know, I just mentioned Dillsborough Dam. Dillsborough Dam had been generating power up until 2004 when, when twin hurricanes hit on um, the Tuckasegee drainage back to back. And the floodwaters from those hurricanes washed out the turbines of the powerhouse and duke then decided well rather than wash out or what rather than replace these washed out turbines we could use the dam as a mitigation chip for licenses on the nanahala and the Tuckasegee, and you know remove the dam at our expense at duke's expense and 
that would be a form of environmental mitigation for continuation of the licenses that are much more profitable higher up in the system. So there are a number of dams in the headwaters of the Tuckasegee that produce a lot of energy for Duke. They got rid of a dam that produced no energy because the turbines had been washed out. And even then it was a low energy producer. Um, so, you know, in that case, the, um, you know, the, the economics of removing the dam kind of made sense for the utility, made sense for the local community. Uh, you know, it, it, it allowed for um, recovery of the river channel so that species could migrate up and down. Uh, so it just, it just generally made sense. Uh, something like, you know, dams on the Yawk where the lower Yawk counts on those releases. You know, those, those, those dams, they're, you know, they're there for a reason. They still have a useful purpose. Um, they're not something that we're, you know, gonna, gonna go after. Well, how about like the Arbor Yawk? generates power from the, from the yeah. dam was, was that something that could ever be i mean obviously there's a huge lake upstream of that too that i mean it's beloved by generations of marylanders to vacation on or whatever i mean how would that play into this kind of discussion is it just never makes sense because of, of what's upstream of that dam or how would that play out well i would never say never you know <laughs> never is a long time right um, you know that's why that's why these licenses are 30 to 50 years you know you and i probably aren't going to see it in our lifetimes but at some point, it might make sense. Yeah, just to drain Deep Creek, or, or to you're going to have to do something. That, you know, the dam's not going to stay up forever. Right. right. When we talk about forever in geological terms. Mm -hmm. I got a funny story about American Whitewater, Mark. <clears throat> this was before you came there, so <clears throat> I don't know who was running the show at this time. But this was 2002, I think. Jetico, right? I don't know. Um, but I was at a meeting out in California with Teva Footwear. And they were talking about um, sponsoring this uh, Liquid Lifestyles rodeo tour. And I was sitting in the room and there was like various things going on. And they were like, we're going to give American Whitewater $100,000 to put on this rodeo tour. And I was like, Oh my God, man, that is a huge investment in like a rodeo tour. And so I'm listening. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. You know, whatever AW is putting on this rodeo tour and the meeting's over. And I go to Adam Druckmann, the guy I was working with there. And I'm like, Hey man, we put on this race on the green and we're hoping to get like 300 bucks for some t-shirts. dude. <laughs> you think you can help us out? And he's like, ah, that just doesn't really align with what we're doing and whatever. <laughs> and I'll just never forget being like, man, that was crazy. But like seeing AW in that time going to putting on events and kind of, I don't want to be like judgmental, but in my opinion, being kind of scattered to like being laser focused, I kind of attribute I attribute that to you, so I'm not trying to blow smoke up your butt or anything, but it, I, I really feel like there was a big shift when you came. I mean, did you look at the books and be like, what exactly are we doing here? Like, I don't know how oh, much yeah. you can say about <laughs> it. <laughs> that, that, was, that, was the, that was the rodeo tour that Deva gave us $100,000 to implement. And it cost AW two hundred thousand dollars to pull it off. Oh my god! Right? Yeah. So it's like, how do you, how do you make a million dollars in the paddle sports industry? You start with two million dollars. 
Right? So, uh, we, we yeah, paid- I've rodeo too <laughs> i would i would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for for that conversation when you came into the office and we're like what no what we're what <laughs> no you wouldn't have it was a long conversation <laughs> it, 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 it took a while you know um yeah it's it just challenging i mean you know we 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 uh, we had to go through some pretty painful years there to to get everything realigned and you know it's um it, it, it's a it's a period of adjustment and it's uh it, it's difficult i mean the irony in all of this for me is that you know i'm the guy that was hired as the change agent to come in and make those changes and usually when you're hired in that in that situation you might last three years in a job right <laughs> and, and and that's that's exactly what i expected Get i'd be in the job for like three years and i'd be out of here and, at that point, I'd probably be sideways with the board, and people would be happy to see me go. And that never happened, you know. It was just like, wow, you know, we, we got something going that really worked, and uh, you know, people started getting really excited about it, and we started having a lot of success. And you know, that just that just steamrolled into its own, you know, it, its own thing. That yeah, it is focused. It's focused on this notion of river stewardship and stewardship wrapped up all of the various pillars of American whitewater at the time, which were access, conservation, safety. And it's this integrated notion that, uh, you know, stewardship of rivers is something that the paddling community can really rally behind and support. And, yeah, we still do Golly Fest. So, you know, it's still an event. And, you know, Feather, Gore, Deerfield. But events events aren't the thing that, uh, you know, that, that the organization is is hanging its hat on these days it's you know the events are really a, a way for us to bring the community together to celebrate the stewardship successes they're not the thing that we do in and of themselves yeah no for sure it was just super evident and <clears throat> i don't know i just really have super vivid memories of that well, I mean, it's such a reflection of the whole story. The whole industry was like that. Oh, I mean, my look, God. It was just everybody just had a... <laughs> all distracted and, and just hemorrhaging money everywhere. And somewhere in the mid-2000s, either you figured out you needed to get laser-focused on some important things or you went out of business. <laughs> well, luckily, we didn't go out of business. <laughs> but there were some dicey moments there. Yeah. I mean, how do you guys stand now? I mean – if you is the past couple of years been good for you guys like it has for most of the outdoor industry or i mean financially financially american whitewater is just on really solid ground yeah. um you know it, it, the the past couple of years you know they they they've they they yeah it, folks have been very generous to support our work and continue to be generous to support our work so there's a there, there's a really strong foundation that's in place that will carry aw through for you know long after i'm gone and this is the right time for me to transition out because we're not worried about how we're going to pay the bills it's really you know what are the things that we're going to take on as an organization that are meaningful projects to um the the paddling community meaningful projects to the conservation of rivers and you know folks can can really just zoom in on that and not have to worry about you know where the where the next big source of funding is coming from. It's, it's interesting, like just thinking about 
I mean, the way you've described it in the past, starting at, at AW, it just it being sort of um, you know a harrowing time to be taking over the organization. And I'm just I'm imagining you know for the next person, for the next executive director at American Whitewater, there's there's something else that's sort of harrowing about taking over an organization that's just firing on all cylinders, <laughs> right? Like it's almost like just. You just don't want to mess it up, right? Like everything is going so great. This is your game to lose now. Yeah, kind of, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's exactly. Like, I guess I'm curious, like, what do you see? Why do you think I'm leaving? Like, <laughs> I'm done what I need to do here. I'm out, guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm just curious, like, where do you see, like, what do you see the real opportunities are for the next ED? Like, what do you see the, the future being for AW? Like, what are the things that, you know, you would love to see the next you know, where would you like to see the organization 10 years from now or That's down the road question? Um, you know, I, I think that there's, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for American whitewater right now. So that, you know, this, this job for the next person, um, is gonna, is, is gonna have some, some big ways to move forward and really change the needle. And, you know, before I kind of dive into those, I, I, I want to kind of share this story because it, it's kind of indicative of the uh, trajectory of, of AW over a really long period of time. But, you know, I, I, I started paddling um, in Ohio Pile, and, and I spent a lot of time around the Yawk and the Chief. And, uh, you know, back in the early 80s, I remember paddling on the Chief with a, a friend of mine. It was like this beautiful spring day, first week of May, you know, leaves are budding out. You know, it's, it's, it's sunny, it's warm, no one else on the river. And we paddle down and we get out of our boats at the bottom of High Falls and we go up, climb up on the rocks. We had some snacks, drank some water. And two other boaters come down, the only other people we'd seen on the river all day. They do the same thing. They get out on the rocks. They're having lunch. We start chit-chatting. And uh, they, they start talking about this thing called the Federal <laughs> Power Act. Right. I'm never, I'd never heard. I'm like, I'm a 20 year old boater that just wants to go paddle. Don't, you know, the federal power act meant nothing to me. Right. And they start explaining to us younger boaters what the federal power act was and how they were working to insert this equal consideration clause into the federal power act. And that equal consideration clause is the, is, is the thing that we use to really leverage FERC for, um, downstream recreational flows out of hydro projects right now. Turns out those two boaters were uh, Pope Barrow and Mac Thornton, two DC boaters that are like the godfathers of American whitewater. I had no idea at the time. And, you know, they were, they were instrumental in developing this equal consideration clause within the, the federal power act that we've used now for, you know, 30 plus years. And, uh, you know, I remember kind of getting back in my boat after meeting him on the on the uh, uh, on the river there, and looking at my friend and going, "You know, those guys are absolutely nuts. I have no idea how they're gonna how they're gonna do the things they say they're gonna be able to do." And we paddled on down, and you know, now that now this Federal Power Act is like part of my life, and I just look back on that day on the cheat, you know, a long time ago, and go. Wow, that was a little foretelling. So to get to your question, Lewis, um, there's some work on the Federal Power Act that needs to be done. And it could be really good for, um, for, for rivers. I mean, you know, as, as a real top level, high priority project, 
nationally. Um, taking a look at where hydropower fits in the portfolio of um, energy here in the United States is something that um, the next ED could really play a role in. And making sure that when we're talking about hydropower and, and we're talking about quote unquote renewable resources, that we're not just given um, hydropower, all hydropower a green light. Because hydropower does have um, impacts. And right now, you know, we're kind of, we're not recognizing the impacts to the full extent that we could. So taking a look at the, at the Federal Power Act, balancing the impacts of hydropower, coming up with um, uh, ways to really take a look. And first of all, inventory, these dams that have no economic viability. In some cases, the owners have walked away from them. No one even knows who they belong to and figuring out what the what you know, what the appropriate approach is to remove those things. Right. So there's a you know, there's a lot of room to make some hay with, um, you know, with that with that project. And there are other projects, you know, of a, of a similar nature that can that can kind of fit in. I mean, it's 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 a little it's a little uh, odd that. All of a sudden, you know, our staff at AW have kind of become the experts at FERC in um, hydropower relicensing and dam removal. But we've done more of it now than anybody else, um, and I'm not just saying that. So, um, you know, we've, there's a certain expertise that we've developed over the last 20 years that's you know that, that, that's really valuable at this point in time. So on your on your last day. You can blow up one dam in this country. <laughs> you, you snap your fingers and knock it. Pebbles. What dam is it going to be? The, the gold hey, dude, watch really? and the plunger. Right. They'll give you a thing. You can push it down and boom, gone. What's the dam? I, I mean, that's and, and look, I'm not. I mean, I, I shouldn't joke too much about that. But there's a. There, I mean, this is another really big issue challenge for the next ED. Is how do we deal with water allocation? And water scarcity in the Colorado Basin, right? I mean, it's a, it's 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 in the news daily, and it's a big deal because, as goes Colorado and 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 the Upper Colorado Basin, and then the states in the Colorado Compact, you know, we're setting a tone for what happens with water allocation around the country, and you know, it, it's a. You know, it, it's an it's an issue that, you know, we're all going to need to be dealt with because we're not making new water molecules. We got what we got. I mean, and, and look, this is all fictitious. I'm not blowing up. <laughs> right. So don't. Maybe Mark is. Let's just be clear here. Right. Maybe Mark um, is going to be the finally the person who gets this canceled. I want to hear your dams well, Grace. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I'm not saying a word. I'm not saying a word. Man, I got a, a little side topic here. You were talking about the mitigation of that dam on the West Fork with Duke Energy. So, and I don't know if this is really an AW thing or if this is something that someone who builds play parks like a Scott Shipley should take on or something like that. But. <clears throat> Here in Asheville, 
there has been talk about making a play wave or a feature on the French Broad River for eternity. It's never not been talked about since birth. You know, since humans have been to this side of the country, it's been talked about. <clears throat> but it never seems to happen, okay? <clears throat> Mark Hunt is doing some great work with the Woodfin Wave. There's a lot of things happening on that front. That's an ongoing thing that's been going on for a while. But just down the road from me, a Raytheon factory moved in. And they built a bridge across the French Broad River for this Raytheon factory in like a weekend. They just threw this big five-lane bridge and whatever. And in the process of building this bridge, they put some gravel in and some concrete and some things in the stream bed so they could access different parts of the bridge to build it and do everything they were going to do. And they created a great wave, actually two great waves. And literally in the matter of a weekend, there has been talk of building this feature forever I wonder if there's some way to work in some kind of mitigation with projects like that that happen on the river where it's like, hey, you're going to put pylons in a river for eternity. While you do that, you have to do something for recreation. Has anybody ever talked about that or do you think that's a feasible concept? Well, it's actually a concept that we use in Colorado. Um, you know, the state has its it, its own recreational in-channel diversions which then helped to create a junior water right and that's how many of the play parks in colorado have been established you know we're 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 in the process of trying to take a look at that and uh establish potential um water rights for natural features in rivers so that you don't have to you don't have to put a a structure in the river to create that that junior right and it's unique to colorado it's something that that the state's done but all of those colorado whitewater parks that have been established in the last 20 years um are are largely these 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 ricd um projects um you know here in the east we don't we don't use them that much but the concept is still valid not so much for the water right that it, it, it brings but for the 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 recreational opportunity that it could trigger it's probably not something that I'd say American Whitewater would would jump at unless there was some uh, river restoration element involved. But you know, there are a number of places where you know there could easily be a restoration element that's part of the project, and then um, it would be yeah, it, it would be something that would be a consideration. It was just amazing to watch how quick they altered the stream bed and formed this feature. And then we even went down and talked to the guys who were building the road and they were like, unfortunately we have to take all this gravel out and whatever. So everything that they used to build this great feature in the river that was there for like three months, then they got done with their job and just pulled it all out. And so it's now we're just stuck with a couple extra pylons in the river. And it just made sense. I was like, I bet somebody could make an app that looked at permit filings for any of that kind of stuff and just went in and, I don't know, just seems like Raytheon had unlimited money, you know? It's like the money we're trying to find to build the Woodfin Wave is hard to find, but they don't have any trouble finding money. So, anyway, just a thought. 
Raytheon Whitewater Park coming yeah. soon. You, 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 you I'm just telling you. I'm just telling happened. you what happened. They built a, a Whitewater Park in a weekend. We make we make drones, Death Stars, and your favorite playway. The Raytheon Lockheed Martin Little White Race. I'm just telling you. I'll put some pictures in the in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like going back to the old champion race slalom days. <laughs> oh man, Mark, what was your uh, what was your lowest moment of your tenure at AW? What was the what was the point that was just a big bummer? <laughs> oh, you know, I think that. Um, look, I'll be I'll be I'll be honest here. Um, the the lowest point for me is when, when we lost a staff member paddling. I mean, it's a tragic consequence of the sport that all of us love. But when you lose a, a friend and a colleague in, a, in an accident like that, um, it just, it sucks. There's no doubt about it. What about, the, what about your, your premier moment of your career there at American Whitewater? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, but, you know, it's not a bad day at work when you get to go and, and see a dam come out, right? I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's that's something that just is, is really, you remember it for a long time. Um, you know, it's kind of like waking up on Christmas and uh, you go unwrap a present and you have no idea what's in the package, right? And you just see the, the, the river kind of, come back into its natural channel and take its own natural shape. And it's like, wow, you know, this thing, this thing has a life to it. And, uh, then you come back a couple years later and you look at it and you just go, wow, this thing is like, not just does it have a life. I mean, it's incredibly resilient. It, it, it bounces back like way faster than, than, than the engineers will, will predict. And, um, you know, seeing, seeing that happen is just, uh, you know, it's, it, it's deeply, it's deeply rewarding. That's really cool. I have my, uh, I have my tour ticket from the Condit Dam decommissioning event right here up on my bulletin board above my desk. And I remember that day very vividly as well. It was just, it's awfully cool. And just like, like a sight you never see seeing all that water, just tearing all of this old sediment out of the riverbed. And, you know, just to live here just a few miles down the road and watch that section of river come back to life over the last 10 years has been, it's just really neat, you know? It's really cool. So when you drive, I just drove down to L.A. to, to do some sewing stuff, but uh, when you drive down I-5, uh, like north of L.A., you for like an hour and a half, you drive past signs that say, get rid of these dams for agricultural reasons. What do you know what that's all about? Is this a, an opportunity a place where you know you're working with really diverse group of people on the same common goal, or is that completely out of what we're discussing here? Yeah, it, it you know there needs to be some overlap with what you know with the, with the work that American Whitewater really does, which is on Whitewater rivers. Mm -hmm. Lots of there are lots of groups that can work on um, lower in the watershed. And that's typically, I think, where, where you're referring to the stuff around the San Joaquin Delta. Mm -hmm. um, and 
you know, it's it it's that's not an area where 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 we've invested a lot of time and resources. We're typically investing our efforts further upstream where there's both water and gradient. Um, you know, the, the the lower dams typically have water. They don't typically have a lot of gradient. So, you know, we're kind of more focused further further up the connection. But on that I-5 route that you just drove, you passed over um, the Klamath River. Mm-hmm. And the Klamath is going to be one of the country's largest river restoration part, uh, projects ever. All right. So four dams on the Klamath, all scheduled to be removed, all, all starting to happen. And um, that is a project that we're really heavily invested in. And working with tribal interests, working with agricultural interests, um, trying to you know figure out what the right balance for uh, access is, so that once the dams are removed, there's access for paddling, access uh, for other forms of recreation, and then also you know for for the reintroduction of um, of salmon runs, which were once um, the, the 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 most um, successful salmon runs. Uh, in, in California and on the West Coast, south of uh, the Pacific Northwest. So, you know, the Klamath River restoration is going to be something to really watch moving into the future. We're talking about a project that's likely going to take a couple of decades. It's, you know, it's not going to not going to happen fast, but it is going to happen. So, you know, that's a it's a real encouraging place to put kind of a, a pin on a map and, and keep an eye on. When you guys when you guys fight when you guys fight together these dams removed, who who are you typically fighting with? Is there a group of people or, or I mean who who's your typical foe in these situations where maybe the dam that people even know who owns it and you're trying to get removed, who are you arguing with on this? Well, I mean there there are coalitions that come together around these projects and each one of them's a little different. Right. Um, our, you know, our, our coalition partners are, are typically, um, you know, groups that have an interest in, in seeing the river um, come back to, 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 to some semblance of uh, a, a restored river system. The, the folks that may be on the other side of that are folks that typically uh, have you know, some other interest or, or supposed interest. There can sometimes be economic interests involved just because dam removal costs a lot of money, right? If someone else is paying the freight on it, um, that's not a blank check. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to have to write it. So there could be some, some potential resistance there. Um, fortunately, we recently got an infrastructure bill passed through um, this Congress that allows for some money to be set aside for projects like this, that that's a big deal. Um, that pot of money previously hadn't been there. So hopefully it can be tapped to move some of these projects off dead center. Um, you know, the, the interests that are largely on the other side of the table, um, you know, could be utilities that don't want to pass the removal costs on to ratepayers and have an economic interest that they're trying to protect. So they're, they may not necessarily be opposed to dam removal. They're just opposed to paying the price of dam removal and want to find another source for that funding. I gotcha. Makes sense. Hmm. 
So, Mark, who's your replacement? <laughs> <laughs> we're doing now, somebody. Good question. Because <laughs> we're gonna yeah, like, bring him God. on. Right How here. about you? <laughs> So I think I think we got the crew right here. Uh, AW run by Hammer Factor. <laughs> you don't want that. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Well, whoever it is, we're gonna bring him on here and grill him. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Or yeah. Well, the board is going through its process right now, uh, soliciting candidates and and looking you know looking at who is potentially interested in the position. Um, and I, you know I. I can tell you, if I had to go through the interview process and, and go through the, the hiring process today, there's no way I'd get hired. They're not looking. You know, they're, they're, it's a, the bar has been raised so much higher than you know, when I was bought on board. Um, so it's going to be it's, it's going to be interesting. And, and I know I'm confident the board will find somebody that's really good. And uh, it, it's just going to take A.W. to the next level. But um it's going to be a little while for, for them to go through their process and be thorough about this. Hmm. Well, man, Mark, I certainly appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah. Good talking with you guys, man. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll be parking my van in your parking lots respectively across the country here <laughs> in the next couple of years. So, right. uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying goodbye. <laughs> Man, I just want to say thanks, Mark, for all of your time at American Whitewater. And, man, no joke, you have been a rock in this sport and done just badass stuff. So big thank you from me, for sure. Likewise, thank you on on so many levels. Well, look, you know, thank you guys. I mean, you know, obviously it it means a lot to me to hear it coming from other rocks in the sport um we got to get some new rocks in this sport you know it's, it's time to it's, it's time to start twisting some arms with these like young 20 and 30 something guys to get up the the, the the step up but i know that'll happen over time and i know for me at least you know i didn't come into it without kicking and screaming because all i wanted to do was go boating mm. there's some good ones out there i feel like there's some good yeah good 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 20 and 30 year olds out there right now for sure i agree inspire yeah. me that's we, for sure we got we got it we got to make our own rocks so yeah that's a, that's a challenge for all of us all, all right. right guys I'm all out. right thanks mark thanks mark thanks sir man dude he's i mean he's a whitewater legend i mean since uh, over the past 20 years 18 years however long he said it had been that's yeah, Mark is. Um, <laughs> you have a copy of the Squirt book that uh, the Jim Snyder book about squirt boating, and there's a uh, the dude on the cover paddling that like 13 foot tiger stripe boat, just like doing a pivot turn. That's Mark. Mark Singleton. <laughs> I know that picture. I never knew that was Mark though. Yeah. That's great. <clears throat> hey, can we can we talk about something? Oh God, here we go. No, it's good. All Let's right. talk. about Positive boats real quick and EJ because I did a uh, Karen I did a um, a presentation for uh, the canoe cruisers in DC a week or two ago. No way, actor fans, yeah. And you still um, get like the is it? I haven't heard the name about the canoe cruisers. What in is a the long, canoe long cruisers? <laughs> Ed Gurler. Ed Gurler was running the movie or they're running the um, the thing of all Sick. people. Yeah, it was it was great. It's Ed Gurler. Yeah, I, I every every once in a while you'll see him out there paddling his Han up the Potomac. Anyway, so 
like I said, a bunch of Hammer Factor fans, but also we had a guy come on who, uh, you know, he was like, you know, there's really a space in the marketplace for a composite boat. And I understand these guys live in the Potomac where maybe rocks aren't as big a deal as they are other places. And now EJ is making, releasing, you know, this 23-pound carbon half slice. What do you think? Is this a business? I mean, is this a growing market? Or is this another fringe thing that's going to die out like every other kooky well, palace sports idea? Well, what I want to say is that a long time ago when he first started with his $15,000 fishing kayaks, yeah, all of us said, why is he not doing something in whitewater? Or trying this well, in whitewater. I think it was more like he'll be doing something in whitewater sooner or later. Yeah, yeah, that exactly. was more of a thing. I guess it took a lot longer than I mean. We I can understand why you wouldn't want to make a whitewater boat. I would never fault somebody for doing that, or not doing that, or whatever. But I mean, I think it's definitely inevitable. It's like that's the next. I mean, the the technology in boat construction has not changed since the '80s, right? Like they're road rolling polyethylene boats. Like they've gotten a little better, but it's like it's the same shit. But a composite. And like, 23-pound composite boat, as today's technology stands, unless he's charging $25,000 for the boat, it's going to break. It's going to break. I mean, I'm not saying that 23 pounds is the answer. Like, I mean, but I feel like there is definitely a market out there for composite boats. And, like, there are environments where it makes sense. And, like, if I lived at the FUDA, I would do horrible, horrible, unspeakable things to have a 30-pound composite steez to paddle, you know? (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's... And, like, the Potomac is a great example, right? Like, that's, like, your market or, like, your number one market, right? Like, people who have money paddle deep river all the time, want to surf. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you crack that nut exactly, and it's going to be more expensive than a polyethylene boat. But, like, I I totally believe it's possible. and do it. Like, it's going to happen eventually. It's just a matter of I mean, Warren's making these composite boats. He'll make a steez for you. I mean, why isn't he blowing up? <clears throat> have you seen any of those boats, man? I have, yeah. How, how much like, do you think his boat's going to cost? EJ's boat? I, I mean... It doesn't have the funky seat, all the other things that are in the fishing boat. Like, how cheap can he get it? Can he get it below $5,000? If he, He's he's very pro-retailer. Like, he always throws in a retail business model. You, you know, I, you can say what you will about it. He's a, he's a friend of the retailer. Which means they're going to be expensive if he plans to sell them through retailers. Which, it, like everything else he's done, I can't imagine he won't. Yeah, I mean five grand, six grand. It doesn't. I mean, he's going to sell thirty of these things, and he has to pay for the, you know, the fifty or, or you know, the, however the development cost of this boat, which is going to be enormous, and labor costs will be extremely high, and the material costs will be even higher. If he plans to throw carbon, in, I mean, what carbon has increased in price by what, like fourfold in the past million months, percent, yeah. something like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that's the boat, but like. If I could, if you could build like, you know, with like a Urest or resin or like something, you know, something different than what's going on now, like, you know, like Eric DeGuille came to the North Fork like five years ago with a boat made by some French company that was like composite boat, 35 pounds, probably bomber. And like, if I could buy a boat like that and I could get, you know, a season on the little weight out of it and then sell it for 60% of what I paid for it. You do would, one stern tap in that boat, it would break in half. I don't think that's true. I think you can build a boat that, you know, I mean, doing it the way we were doing it, the way you guys were doing it, valuable boats in like the late 80s, no. But like, I think that it's possible to. It's the same epoxy, the same, I mean, carbon's carbon, Kevlar's Kevlar, Spheratex is Spheratex. I mean, I mean, we don't have anything. If there's anything new coming along the pipeline, we certainly can't afford it in this sport. I don't know. I, th- I think it's possible. 
He's talked to Ryan about it. We should get Ryan on and talk about it. But like, if I could buy, you know, if I had a, if I could paddle a boat that was totally stiff, weighed 15 or 20 pounds less than the boat I'm paddling now, you know, and I could, if that thing cost $5,000 and I could sell it at the end of the season for 3000 or 3500 I would do that in a heartbeat. I tend to think I would too. You know, but I, I mean, Sure. If you could if you could make me a 30 pound boat that would last a whole season. Yeah, of course. I think a lot of people would, but I don't think that's possible. Yeah, that's the kicker. I don't I don't don't know if it's possible or not. I find it interesting. I find it way more interesting than his fishing kayak thing that he was doing. So, you know, you just got to. I don't know. I I, I mean, what do you think? The thing is is that it looks like I, I, I didn't read the latest thing, but I feel like I saw something that you did posted somewhere that you guys sent to me a while ago that he was trying to make a boat for this like like I, I hate to even use the words but that extreme slalom nonsense that they're doing alongside world cups now that's what which he's is basically like it it's right and it's like basically a boat or cross race on an artificial slalom course and it's like it's stupid and it's embarrassing and the best slalom racers don't do it but like if you're building your boat for that, I mean, that is like the stupidest niche of like the most niche activity in the whole sport. So like, I can't say that like, that's the winning ticket to getting into composite boat manufacturing. It's like, I think this is just like an activity that EJ's into when he wants his own boat design. But like, do I think you can build a composite boat that's, you know, certainly good for like class four paddlers? Like, you know, like somebody who has some money is not running the green or the little white a hundred days a year but like wants to go to the golly all the time and like the upper yak and paddle a super high performance boat. And it's not afraid to spend some money like hundred percent. Who's paying for all this stuff that EJ's doing. We got to get him on. He claimed, well, when he was on the show, he claimed he was very clear. He did not want to take equity partners back in again. Yeah. But uh, from what I saw, it looks like he was trying to find an equity partner, not a year later. Uh, but I don't know. I can't yeah. believe it took so long to start coming out with these. Personally, I, that's I wonder if for we had, yeah for EJ. I thought I thought that would be like six months from now. We have our whitewater boat. You know, I never. Yeah. I, if I if I could coach EJ on business, <laughs> I advise him. He's he's not going to listen to this, but I would advise him not to focus on finding some niche thing and convincing the world it's the best thing that's ever existed, but maybe just make something that has mass appeal and really drill down on supply chain and delivering on time and good customer service, like the boring stuff. But boring I guess you're I don't know. I mean, if it comes out and it's like eighty five hundred dollars for your boat you know it's like eh, dead on arrival I mean, you know you, guys think it's, you saw the whole shape it has pretty hard shines on it for what i saw it didn't it looks like a power flip you know as soon as yeah. you hit the drop the booth a little bit off angle or off camber you'd be it'll it'll be great at like nottingham or like <laughs> <laughs> like wherever they're doing one of the races. canals or whatever <laughs> <laughs> uh... like a really upstream in an artificial eddy Slamming into that thing, no problem. <laughs> All right, where do we go from here, boys? You were mailed. Raves. I got to go back to work. Yeah, I got to go back to. We're we going right into rant. We're, we're dissing all of these listener mails. We have one piece of viewer mail that was more or less the catalyst for our, for us getting back on the show here that we have to bring up. 
Is it on Trello? Yeah, I got the whole board set up. <clears throat> Which one is it? I'm not logged There's in. There's emails by people asking us when we're coming back. So you can just, just group those all into one. Pete wants Hammer Factor. Will wants Hammer Factor. Felix wants Hammer Factor. Brownie wants to talk about the green movie. Owen wants Hammer Factor. Jeff wants Hammer Factor. Darren has a question on paddle length. Haley Thompson and the Grand Salmon Expedition. Uh, oh, we got to do this huge birthday shout out, don't you think? Yes. I mean, this is a good one. I'm going to read the whole email. It's pretty pretty wordy, but this may be. Do you want to read the email, or should we just deliver this gentleman his birthday? Shout yeah, email. <laughs> You're right. Okay, so we got an email, and I I, I can't figure out is this a, it's boyfriend, right? Yes. Yeah. And do we know Jesse's last name? We don't. All right. Happy birthday, Jesse. Jesse. In fact, Jesse, I have a special gift for you. It's a Geltman shirt. What? <laughs> How does he get a Geltman shirt and I don't have a Geltman shirt? All you need to do – so I, I, listen, and don't, I don't want 50 trillion people asking for Geltman shirts. You're not going to get them. But Grace, not you, Grace, but Grace, the girlfriend, Grace. So I know it's you. You can write us because we have your email. You Give me a shirt size and I'll send you a Geltman shirt. Looky there. <clears throat> be nice to grace jesse she did you a very very rarefied crowd yeah she did you a solid on that one <laughs> yeah this is this will be a prized possession i wouldn't i'd frame it i wouldn't wear it necessarily but you can decide what you want to do um all right so should we shut it down there we've got some other listener mails we can get to them. we're almost at two hours i figure that's about as long as anybody can deal with us um, should we do this paddle length and, and, and feather here? <laughs> we'll be a factor without a paddle length. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is someone who needs some help, you know, just yeah. starting out on my whitewater journey and picked up a liquid logic XP 10, 10th anniversary model scored a great price in mint condition. He says, unfortunately it's the model before the bad ass seating, but that's another episode. My question is being crossover boat and living in Connecticut with limited whitewater, I went with a 215 centimeter paddle. Should I, <laughs> should I lean towards an even shorter paddle, 200 to 205, in a 28 inch wide boat, or am I in the right area for an all around whitewater to flatwater paddling size? Love the podcast. Thanks. This comes at us from Darren Kramer. Darren Kramer, two fifteen. Um, Iron an XP ten. I'd stick with a two fifteen, man. I don't think he needs a new paddle until he really ups his whitewater game. He's flipping a lot and all that kind of thing. The only Dude, don't use the two fifteen. You're gonna rip your shoulders out, man. You're gonna end up like <sighs> Weld. Weld's like, yeah, two fifteen. Like I can't pick my arm up right now. Don't. <laughs> your, your shoulders are messed up too. What is what is the XP ten? How long is how long is the XP ten? It's a ten foot boat with the hatch in the back. <clears throat> don't use a two fifteen. Get it. I don't know how tall this guy is, but not. But you, you, get too you can't reach over the edge of the boat. You're gonna be like like leaning over to get the blade in the water. I would like to know how tall he is, but I'm going to say that until he starts spending a lot of time on whitewater and flipping over a lot, he doesn't need to get a different paddle. I'm saying he runs, let's say he's running big splat in the XP 10. He's got a 215. That boy is laying treats. (laughs) 
He's going to be digging in off the lip of that thing. His X ten is going to swing off of that. Skeg oh, down. Skeg down. Wham, put the skeg down. Boom. Lay a treat. Two fifteen. I don't know. It's a little long for an XP10, but do you need yeah. to buy another one when you're not paddling a lot of white water? I don't really know. X between 215 and 208 or whatever is hold your fingers apart. It's this much. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal. It is a huge deal. If you don't do that. Don't don't use your 215. Get proper white water paddle a little longer than what you would use for a normal white water boat. So if you're 6 feet tall, Normally, you'd probably want like a 200 or a 202. With the XP, you probably want like a 204 or a 26. So, like, don't use a 215 unless you're like seven feet tall. You're going to hurt yourself. And develop crappy technique. Don't do that. Well, a rare moment right. of descent. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> yep. We all are all entitled to our own opinion. I'm yeah. just I'm, what I have in mind right now is like I, I feel like we talked about this a while back. Like the guy from the uh, it was like the Whitewater Video YouTube channel who'd reposted the '95 Great Falls race, and I was watching it, and like my my <laughs> oh, buddy, that was a sick video, dude. My buddy yeah. Ryan Goodrow, who was like 16 at the time, and he was yeah. a tall dude. He was probably like six four or something when we were 16, Walking and like. Two- and, you know, his dad had been paddling since, like, the 60s. And so they had, like, some, like, seriously ancient paddling equipment around their house. And he was like, dude, I found this paddle. It's going to make me so fast today. It's like a 214. <laughs> Did he crash it? like, goodies out there. <laughs> he's, like, wearing this helmet that, like, that doesn't stay on his head. The chin strap is, like, he's wearing, we're, we don't wear a chin strap, super loose, like, hockey player style. Break. And so Goody's, like, like trying to, like, whip his helmet back onto his head. And he's just, like, paddling with this, like, 214 paddle. <laughs> and it's, like, it's so funny. <laughs> that, that's what I have in my head when I'm imagining dude in the XP. <laughs> it's Goody circa 90, 1995. 215 is long for a whitewater paddle. That's for sure. I'll give him that. That is true. That is. But I think if he's mostly on flat water and not a lot of white water, I think he could get some life out of that 215. I would say use it until your forearms or get your tendonitis in your forearms or something like that. In that case, you could (laughs) use it until you get hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Just pile it all and move on. (laughs) Oh, God. All right. Now on to everyone's favorite section of the show, Rants and Raves, where your hosts go on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave. Something that makes you feel oh so good or not so good. Anybody want to lead us off here? I got one. Lay it on us. I got a rave. Uh, It's a rave for Noria. And listen, I'm not trying to be like Mr. You're a fanboy, dude. Like, let's just go. You know, I'm just saying, you, you watch that movie. Here, here, I'm going to make this distinction, and I hope this doesn't sound like, I hope this makes some kind of sense. You could, there's, I don't think there's any argument that Dane Jackson's the best kayaker in the world, but I think Nori is the greatest kayaker in the world. I think that in my mind, there's a bit of a difference. I mean, when Dane makes the French slalom team, and Dane takes the deep, deep expedition dive that Nori has taken you know, and has that kind of a resume, then, you know, it's a different thing. But that's just not who Dane is. And, of course, Dane, you know, I mean, there's no arguing what Dane's done in the sport. But Nori is a, a different situation that really has its own 
distinction in my opinion. I don't know. I just think she's she's the shit. She's amazing. There's no doubt. Yeah. There's no doubt. She's been out here for a couple of weeks and it was it was enjoyable to see her in action. I got a rave. I'm gonna rave about paddling clubs. In particular, the West Asheville Canoe and Kayak Organization, the Wackos. So the Wackos are a group of friends, people my age, and uh, they have got members as young as six to older, and they do the coolest things, man, just like these fun trips to rivers where everybody gets together, they rent a whole bunch of campsites and they have bring some music out and you know hire a band to come out and do their own little mini races and do their own little kids camps and all sorts of stuff and it's just uh cool to see a fun group of clubbers that are doing it right. So, I'm just going to rave about some clubs. Um and I'm going to rave about Rush Sturgis and Evan Smith. Uh, just super grateful to those guys for all their work putting on the Little White Race. Um, it's a thankless and unpleasant job. And, you know, there's a there's no shortage of opinions in the, the community out here about what that race should look like and down to every little detail and uh, just really appreciative of, of Rush and Evan's efforts and bringing this thing off and putting together a really sick party. And uh, it's a lot of work and just thank you guys. Yep. That's awesome. All right. Well, we did it. I mean, we'll see you in the fall. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening to hammer factor. We'll uh, be a little more regular here in the coming days and we'll see you on the water. Bye-bye.